Welcome to And Justice for All, the official podcast of Roosevelt University, exploring the relationship between education and justice and the transformative power of inclusive education. Hosted by Roosevelt University President Ali Malekzadeh. Asking for help is never easy, according to Roosevelt University alum and therapist Melissa Alaba. She says that many women, people of color, and other communities have learned to just keep things moving. Those who do ask for help often feel like they aren't heard or understood. In honor of Mental Health Awareness Month, Melissa Alaba and moderator Jumida Anusiam talks about taking care of yourself and others. She will discuss how the COVID crisis and racial injustices have increased stressors and how you can prioritize your well-being. This episode is a recording of a live event hosted by the Women's Leadership Council. Please enjoy. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Women's Leadership Council discussion on mental health, COVID fatigue, and finding support. I'm Cami McBride, Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences and Professor of Psychology at Roosevelt University. I'm delighted to be here today in observation of Mental Health Awareness Month. As a clinical psychologist and expert in adolescent development, family therapy, and developmental psychopathology, I appreciate the importance and timeliness of this conversation. The implications of the pandemic and other recent events such as racial reckoning and the ongoing wave of civil unrest over the last year and a half have had an impact on our well-being. We are fortunate to have a wonderful moderator and speaker joining us to share information and advice that we can take with us to move forward and feel good about ourselves. With that, I'd like to welcome and introduce our moderator, Chidima Anusiam. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm wonderful, and yourself? I'm great. Let me introduce you, tell everyone how wonderful that you are. Chidima has over 20 years of experience developing and coaching women to discover their true value and self-worth. She is a women's empowerment speaker, life after divorce coach, host of Author Chi Talks on YouTube, and the number one best-selling author of From Glass Stone, where she shares her divorce and her transformational journey from pain to power. She has 10 years of experience as the CEO and lead designer of the Chianu International Women's Clothing Line, and Chidema spent two years as the director of operations for the WOWWWW Women's Ministry in Atlanta, Georgia. Chidema also has over 15 years of experience as a VP in banking and regional management. Currently, she is a VP retail network planner for PNC Bank. Chidema, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for that warm introduction, Dean McBride. And it's a pleasure to be here um, and to lead this conversation with my very good friend, colleague, and Roosevelt alumna, Melissa Alaba. The Melissa Alaba, I have to add that. <laughs> Melissa is actually the CEO of Vision Works Coaching and Counseling. She's a breakthrough coach, she's a speaker 
published author, and the creator of Be Healed Transformation Process and a licensed counselor. Melissa is the author of Live Out Loud, 52 Ways to Reawaken Your Spirit and Live a Life of Purpose. Um, she was featured in the movie 72 Hours. Her advice has been featured in Ebony Magazine, U.S. News, World Report, Parents Magazine, Red Book, ABC Online. I can go on, you guys. Let's just say accomplished, right? I mean, for the past 20 years, Melissa has coached hundreds of women of color to work through deep trauma, heal their wounds, have life-changing breakthroughs, and to, to get, help them get to the next level. Melissa is an advocate for women's rights, equal pay, and financial liberation for women. Melissa, welcome, and thank you for being here with us for this much-needed conversation around mental health and well-being. Thank you for such a warm introduction. And um, thank you to the Women's Council, to Roosevelt University, and to the alumni community, you know, for putting this on. We're just like so excited about this topic and to just dive deep into it today. Absolutely. And as I mentioned yesterday, I mean, there's a, a high anticipation around the discussion today. And there's so many women out there saying, I need this. So, Melissa, I know that you, you're going to add so much value um, to the women and tuning in and men tuning in today. So let's go ahead and, and get started. First, I want to also share for those of you that are tuning in, feel free to put your comments in the chat. We want to hear from you. Um, Melissa is ready to answer your questions and for us to address your comments as well. So please feel free to put your comments in the chat. So COVID-19. COVID-19 has had a significant Ooh. impact. Come on now. We got to breathe on that. Yes. Um, <laughs> It has changed the way we do life. I mean, as women, I mean, personally speaking for myself, I mean, workload increased at home. You're now like having to be the cafeteria lady because your children are home <laughs> from school and the principal and you're at work and you deal with your husband and your marriage. And it's just so much. So I want to hear from your perspective. You know, how has COVID-19 affected women? Wow. So, you know, all the things that you just talked about, right? And for, I think the big part is really help women to identify that they need better boundaries and better systems in their life. Like, so it's, it's really like illuminated the idea of gender roles, uh, gender inequality. It has made women think more about work-life balance. It has made women think about the income that they were currently bringing in and, and how how quickly and easily that income was ate up in this type of situation. It's illuminated so many different things, even, you know, like you, we started out with talking about the racial disparities and all of these different things. So this has yeah. been like a heightening since time period that really has allowed us to see so many different things. And I'm sure you're seeing so many different things with, with your clients as you're coaching them and counseling them. And so what has VisionWords, because you're, you're the CEO of VisionWords Coaching and Counseling, what have you done specifically to adjust to these unique needs that we're now having as women um, dealing with COVID-19? So I think like, you know, so first of all, when this first happened, no one thought, you know, a year ago, a year and what, a couple months now that it was going to last so long. I think a couple months into it, we definitely knew that we needed to put some more things into place to really support women and really support the people that we were seeing. One of the things was creating a sister circle. So I took some time with that and putting that together, but I knew that women needed a community in which they can come and they could talk about how they were feeling. They can express to women who look just like them, 
all of the things around, like we just talked about, issues happening at work, issues happening at home, and separating those spaces, relationship issues. Because again, with the isolation that we all are a part of, still a part of, but it's shifting, that was like really big, is just having that particular space. The other thing, you know, I had probably started this a couple years ago, but we really, really realized how big this was, is that women of color wanted to see women who looked like them in treatment. That wasn't always the case. It, I would say probably five years ago, that really wouldn't have mattered so much as much as it was just getting the help. But because so much, so many issues were around Black Lives Matter, were around things happening in the workplace, were around the shift of mindset, people started to say they wanted someone who had the experiences that they had, who mm. could understand, who could hear, who could feel. So that really, you know, sparked us to hire more clinicians. But all practices that I know of, um, no matter who their population that they serve, this was a big period of time when we had so many more people coming into treatment and into counseling, which was great. Yes. Absolutely great because a lot of the issues were issues that were already existing um, issues, but because of the situation, it heightened those issues. So it was really great to have people saying, hey, I want to do some, some work on me now so that I can get things back into alignment. I love that. I love that. And I, I just wanted to add to that just for women to be patient with yourself. I mean, you, COVID-19 has created some unique challenges and unique stressors that we didn't really have to deal with. We didn't have to be mom and boss and coworker all in one day in the same <laughs> oh hour, gosh. right? And so just being okay with, you know, sometimes where you're not so perfect and wearing all of those roles at the same time. And like you speak about, Melissa, so many times is being able to introduce pleasure into your life. Pleasure meaning what are some of those things that fill you and fuel you? Even if you have to get away for five minutes from the kids and to tuck yourself in the closet and you have your favorite ice cream by yourself, <laughs> right? Like just those moments where you can just give back to yourself because we're constantly pouring out and doing everything for everyone. And so I definitely wanted to, to add that piece. So thank you, Melissa. Absolutely. No, I love what you said. And, and, and really like that pleasure piece has to be something that we give ourselves permission to have. You know, years ago, I had a website and I don't have this personal website anymore. Might be coming back, though. But on my personal website, I had like this column where I talked about guilty pleasures, because for women, like having simple pleasures such as taking a hot bath or reading your favorite book could be like this guilty pleasure because we've put all this pressure on ourselves to be like, like you said, mom, CEO, wife in charge, whatever the case, we're managing so many different roles. So I really feel like 2021 is this place where we can start talking about normalizing real balance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> normalizing women going for more, like not just like finances is so big and I talk about that, but going for more in each area of their life, going mm -hmm. for more help, getting more support, you know, having more fun. Like this literally is the year where like we have to put some new boundaries around our desires and our wants so that we could be better. Yes, I, I think that's this well said, going for more. I don't know anybody that would object to that. I can use yes. more of those good things. So. So there's a question coming in from Kimberly. Kimberly, thank you for our first question. 
Um, and she just wants to know, how would you advise professional working mothers who may feel grateful for the opportunity to work from home, but then they're exhausted from juggling, you know, the work-life balance? And that was actually our next question. So thank you, Kimberly. So how would you uh, address that concern, Melissa? One, I would say, no, it's okay to get help. You know, so I've had clients where we've worked through this very issue. One of my clients, you know, was like, oh, I didn't want to bring it. She didn't want to bring anybody in during the pandemic. She was really scared about that. So here, here was the options. Do you want to be burned out or would you like to go for some help? And so she was like, I think I want help. <laughs> so, so, so what do we need to do? So she hired a nanny for clients who may not have money. Like cause a lot of times when we hear nanny, we think, oh my God, that's going to be so expensive. But there were so many services created out of this time, right? So places like Sitter City, places like, I can't think of another one. It's so many different sites that you literally can hire someone for several hours a week to come in and help. Or as now these mass mandates have been removed or about to be removed and we're slowly transitioning into post-COVID, starting to think about daycare again. You know, starting to think about getting help. But I think one of the biggest things, especially for women, all women, is we have to have some boundaries about our needs and our desires. And I definitely will say this as a woman of color, white women have had this down for some time. Okay. So a lot of white women that I know, they have the nanny, they have the, you know, they have the housekeeper. Black women have been conditioned to do it all, all mm-hmm. the time. And so we're learning to ask for help outside of our family unit. So are other women of colors, of different colors. We're learning to ask for help outside of our family unit. And sometimes asking for help outside of your family unit or outside of yourself feels like you're not enough. Like you're not doing all the things that you should be doing as a mother, as a woman, as a worker. But I would definitely tell you we do ourselves a disservice when we do not get the help that we need to thrive in all areas. It's literally impossible to be like an A1 employee and then you're also trying to feed your child, hand them coloring books. <laughs> you know, like your husband is like, hey, what are we going to So creating boundaries and some systems around how you give your time and when you give your time are really big. And I know, like for me, and this is my last point, so we can check and see for some other questions. But for me, it really is being present in the moment with the thing that I'm doing. So if I am at work, I need to 100% be in work. I need to be able to close that door and focus on this. And then when I'm with my kids, and I do have children, you guys, my youngest is nine, my oldest is 25, about to be 26. I have two grandchildren. She has a husband, two beautiful kids. And then my middle daughter is in college. But when I'm with them, I'm really with them. So that's one of the other things, too, and dedicating time just to be that mom. So for me, it's the weekends. You are not Mm -hmm. getting my weekend time. Nobody. (laughs) That is the time in which I want to be able to spend with my family. That is the time in which I want to be able to revive myself, re-energize myself, have some play, have some fun. I do believe 2021, this time, especially this summer, we're going to see people getting back into hobbies that they haven't had a chance to play with and and be into. We're going to see people learning something new. And we're going to see a whole bunch of people just running outside, happy to see their friends and their families. And of course, jumping on planes, visiting people as soon as they possibly can. So I think that 
creating balance that is long lasting and thinking about what you really need from this time is a way to now put that into place permanently and being okay with it. No, that's good. It's good. And um, so, I mean, this is a great segue. And again, if you have questions or comments, please feel free to, to chime in anytime. We definitely want to hear from you. And so that's a good segue into, you know, asking for help. There's a saying that says, check on your strong friends. Okay. Because especially as women, and we can get into African-American women too, but women, we are known as strong. I mean, we're the only species that can push out a whole human being and still survive, right? <laughs> That's, that's strong. Okay. Um, so there are times where we have these strong friends. We have these people around us that always seem to have it together. They always seem to have a good handle on their life, on their kids and all of that. And so we ask them how you're doing. They said, I'm fine. Everything is well. And we may be that strong friend. That may be us, right? How do, what are those physical and emotional signs that we can look out for, for people like that, that may actually be be having some mental challenges, but don't know how to, to share what they're really going through. How can we kind of discern what's truly going on? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things for a lot of people is when they find that they're no longer passionate about things that used to energize them. So I see a lot of the clients that I see are, are leaders, they're entrepreneurs, you know, and they're coming back to me to get their life back on track or to get out of overwhelm. But a lot of times what happens is the overwhelm comes because they lack balance. They're doing too much. And when you're in overwhelm, you feel like nothing really is important anymore. Nothing really matters. You notice that you are, you don't have the passion for the projects that you once had. You're not getting things complete. You're having a difficult time sleeping. Sometimes you have a difficult time eating. Sometimes you are eating too much. Sometimes you're sleeping too much, but your patterns are off. You know, so life is just not as invigorating or as fun or as, as, as great as it once was. And you feel like you're doing more, like you're always in do mode instead of receiving mode. So a lot of times mm-hmm. people will say they feel depleted, um, a sense of burnout. Those are big signs that we need to reorganize some things and you may need to get some support around how to do that and what it is that needs to shift. Because a lot of times I meet people, folks and they don't know what it is that needs to shift. They just know it's all out of sync at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. So you may be coming to therapy for general like anxiety. Like I can't get out of my thoughts and things like that. But as we dig deeper, we see it's really like some s- systems that's been set up that are no longer working, boundaries that may have been crossed. And we need to re- just reestablish um, some things. Yeah, I think I think that's great. I also, I also wanted to add, I mean, me and my, a, a coworker of mine were discussing this last week. It's how, how can we assess the mental well-being of a person without saying, how's your mental well-being, right? It seems a little invasive. <laughs> but so we thought about, we ask this question every time we meet someone, how are you doing, right? Yeah. And the response is, I'm fine, right? Yes. And it's just so, if you think about it, it doesn't really capture what, how the person really is doing. So yeah. swapping the word doing with feeling, yeah, we could get maybe more genuine responses and insight into the well-being of a person. How are you feeling today? Yeah. I think will land even better and sound more genuine. And it'll also make you feel as the person that's asking 
more intentional about really wanting to know, right? So even that little tweak can also help us assess, you know, what our strong friends could be going through. Absolutely. I think another thing too is in terms of like our strong friends, all of our friends, all of our friends is the ability to sit in something with someone, which is generally why people will go to a therapist, seek out a coach, not because they're looking for a best friend. I had someone who said that to me, like, you know, I've been seeing you for a while and I think I need to stop now because I don't want you to turn into my best friend. And I'm like, do you feel like his best friend? And then she's like, no, because my best friend would agree with everything I'm saying. Does that happen here? No. <laughs> we seek out this type of support because we get the guidance, right? And we are allowed to sit in our feelings. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when we share with our friends that we're going through something, especially in our community, we will shut that down. Like, oh, you'll be fine. Um, just pray on it. <laughs> you'll get through it. We have given them the answer and not allowed them to express their true feeling. So what happens is the next time you ask me, I know you really don't want to know. <laughs> you want what I normally say. So I give that to you. Yeah. So it's the reconditioning of our thought process around it and allowing the person to speak and sit in with them. Sometimes yeah. it's the second question. It's the follow-up question. How are you doing? And then followed up, how, how has this been for you, this whole pandemic thing? Mm-hmm. That is That also sets the tone for like, yeah, it's been, you know, that type of thing. So I think that is yeah. really important. I like that. And then also, you know, how can we support you? How can I support you? Like yeah. you said, sitting with them in that, not just listening, but actually, you know, putting some skin in the game and really rolling your sleeves up and helping them. So I think those are really good points, Melissa. Um, The other point before we move on, because I do say it's an actual, a nice question here too, is I want to just say, I think the third thing is, you know, like, so again, we're going to sit in it with them. We have to normalize seeing a coach and normalize seeing a therapist, which that Mm -hmm. totally is happening for the younger generational uh, generation, I, I definitely see that with my millennials. It's like, oh, I want to see my therapist today, or I have to, I'm talking to my therapist at ten o'clock. So I have a lot of college students that we see and so forth. But for you know those forty and over, it may not be something that you talk about with someone else, and therefore they don't feel like they don't know that that's okay. So I think the more we say, oh yeah, I worked with a therapist for this or that it makes it normal and it makes it as a a support person. I see myself with a lot of my clients as they have their regular doctor they go to, they have their nutritionist, they have their chiropractor, they have their massage therapist, and they have their breakthrough coach, a part of their team of wellness. I think that's amazing. That's an amazing point is to have your therapist as part of your part of your dream team, you know, yes. to help you reach your dreams by being stable in every way, shape and form. So yes, thank you. Thank you for that insight. So we do have a question from Mary and it's kind of going back to our previous conversation. How do you disconnect from work when you work from home? It's a valid question. I, I from experience, I have my daughter braiding my hair and I'm on a conference call, right? So <laughs> like, it's, how do we do this, Melissa? Help us. I love it. Um, I think you have to be very intentional about creating different spaces in your home. You know, so you may have a specific space where you give your work. 
So like a private office, or for me, I was working out of my living room that had like shutters on both sides from the dining room and the entrance way, because that was the area I could find. But then when the day was over and I was done seeing my clients or what have you, then I would come out into the rest of the house, a lot of times transitioning with a walk outside. So just having this nice walk outside, the day has ended playing music in the kitchen. Alexa is like my favorite thing, okay? Alexa, play my favorite song. I love it. That's like, literally I say that every single day, right? And she has the lineup. It's coming. You know what I'm saying? Everything is coming. It's about to be evolved. So that dancing, that laughter, the day is over. And I think as a clinician, you know, for over 20 years, I've trained myself to transition from clinical work that, you know, tough stuff of, of hearing stories and helping people process to being able to stop, you know, to make a, a heart stop and then yeah. s- step into my own life. So I think that's something that people can definitely put in. That might be mindfulness meditation. That might be going to sit on a sofa and taking 10 minutes and doing like a meditation, you know, or some deep breathing, but definitely having a point where we cut one thing off, probably change the visual and the location within our house or to outside, and then focus on something that's going to allow us to flow back into our regular life. I love that. So just being able to create different spaces for your for your different roles and, and know how to transition between. I think that's very well said, Melissa. Thank you. Absolutely. So we talked about mental health in general and women in general, but can we dive a little bit deeper and talk specifically about African-American women? Because there's there's a unique challenge when it comes to African-American women or the African-American community as a whole and the stigmas that exist around mental health. So, you know, can you please shed light on some of these stigmas and kind of where do they come from? Why do they exist? But I think that, you know, when we think of the, the whole body of psychology and again, you know, I'm an alumni of Roosevelt University. I feel like I've had some of the best education that you could possibly have to be able to go out and do this work. And I had great professors and teachers and so forth. And of course, I had my own experience. Right. But I think in this line uh, and this movement of the Black Lives Matter, going through this past year where you had deaths like Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, and, and so many others, right? And then people really understanding that multicultural doesn't mean anti-racist. It's brought up a lot of feelings about, even like from the past, trust. You know, so it's like, how do I trust or land over my stories when at some point in our history, if I were to do that, I might have lost my children. If I were to to do that, I might have been committed against my will. You know, I think about my mom who's in her 60s and growing up, I used to hear my mom say she was nervous. Like, I mean, that was like a big thing. Like, like when something would happen, it's like, I'm so nervous, I'm so nervous. Now I know, <laughs> I know that she had anxiety, but that wasn't something that she was going to share with someone because she was afraid that they would give her something that wouldn't allow her to function like she should function. So there's a distrust of systems. There's a distrust of systems that weren't created by us, that were created by mm. other people and have may have literature from the past that said that we were not equal to or like someone else, right? That we thought differently. 
So I, I believe that, you know, as we start to understand how needed and helpful this is, older generations will, will jump in and they're, they're starting to make changes and shifts as they see the younger generations doing that. So younger generations don't have the sense of distrust that older generations have. We saw this distrust during this time of COVID when we were looking at vaccines. And because of things like the Tuskegee, um, the syphilis project and so forth, where yeah. you know folks were given this, this, this supposed vaccine, but it wasn't a vaccine, and they wind up with all these different things. So because of that history, you have a distrust for systems, you know? Yeah. So when someone says you have to do something, it's like, no, I don't have to do anything. Like, oh. So literally re-educating and having enough people of color who are actually providing a service, who yeah. are part of the community and a part of the solution, I think those are the things that help to transition folks who weren't accustomed to this way of being or, or talking to someone that's not a mom or relative or pastor. Yeah. To be able to say, let me try it. During COVID, I had more 60 plus clients than I ever had. And the interesting thing was they did not bring themselves. Their younger children brought them to therapy. And it was like, my mom has been dealing with this for so long, or my dad has been dealing with this for so long. And we feel like he or she needs that support and we're here to do it with them. So I, I just feel like, you know, community-wide, one of the questions, like when we talk about the gay community, when we talk about, you know, a transgender community, when we talk about different communities that are outside of ourselves, that are marginalized, you know, you can even think of like white women who are now looking for inclusion, just so many different things, right? When we talk about things that are outside of ourselves, sometimes having someone else on your team who shares those same experiences can help with the transition of thinking different. Um, about a particular thing. And so I feel like as a group, as a country, we all are in this transition of thinking about our roles and thinking about how we talked about things in the past and how we can make it better, like how we can all grow from these experiences. I think that's I think that's well said. And I, I, you know, I work for a wonderful organization that, you know, during the the George, George Floyd death and that whole, you know, movement around, you know, Black Lives Matters and, and all of that, you know, we have meetings that we pulled up with our teams to talk about how were we feeling, a temperature check for the, the employees of color. And I just thought that was such an amazing forum because mentally I was messed up. I was emotional. I was having a hard week and just being able to go to work and that being acknowledged and saying, do you need a mental health day, right? And I think those are things that organizations can continue to do to continue to support, you know, the mental well-being of, of our employees of color and our employees as a whole. So, absolutely. And and what you just talked about did not happen in so many companies. Mm. So, coming from a group that's seen as marginalized, and I use that word just in this forum because it's not one that I use every day. Obviously, you don't walk around thinking I'm. Um, marginalized person. <laughs> uh, but that's how other people see you because you are not of the majority, right? Mm-hmm. But coming from a group that is seen that way, most workplaces looked like another regular day. And most people who looked like me or who looked differently had to just go to work and put on a face. So again, that is what typically has always happened. Mm-hmm. I think as we moved into 
not just talking about diversity, not just talking about multicultural workplaces, but getting into anti-racist education, meaning like we look at our historical stem of how all of this got started. And now as a company, as a people, how we can make some shifts, then we start to actually see real change. And I feel like that is starting to happen. We're like through this Black Lives movement, we saw a lot of companies. One, the first thing was they they gave money to certain things. Yeah. Then you saw folks of color coming and saying, hey, we don't want just money piled on this. We literally want to see what type of changes are you going to make, systemic changes yeah. for the future. Because otherwise it does nothing. <laughs> so I think it's like it's an enlightened age. I pray that it continues. And I've also had a lot of colleagues, white colleagues, white women colleagues, I'm a part of this one organization, we should all be um, millionaires, who took anti-racism training, like literally wanted to start to debunk some of their thinking behind some of their actions that they didn't even know that were embedded in them because they had never looked at a lot of the history. They had never took the time to look at these different things. And so now instead of them saying to their black colleague, hey, uh, what can I do differently? They now were thinking and in, in taking this education and learning. I don't need to ask them. That's putting extra pressure on them. What I need mm-hmm. to do is educate myself and see what I could do differently. <laughs> and uh-huh. that is that is like that's like the breath of fresh air that we all need so that real change can actually happen. You're listening to And Justice for All, the official podcast of Roosevelt University. That's so powerful. So not just inquiring, but taking the action behind it to bring about real change that makes a difference. I think that's phenomenal. And so I did want to get to this question, and I'm going to come back to this topic from Kimberly. What is the difference between a therapist and a coach? I'm currently seeing a therapist, but I've been feeling like I need someone to advise me as to how to move past my feelings in a positive action. So I'm a coach, you're a therapist. So Melissa, you want to jump in and and share that difference? So here's the thing, you guys. (laughs) I really always say like from the therapist's point of view, it really is the lens in which they lend to their particular craft. But for the most part, the major difference that that most people will say, like when you look at ICF uh, regulations, those are the people who are the the guiding principles, guidelines for coaches. What they would say is, is that if you're in this healing phase, so if you need healing, you're having high anxiety, certain things, depression, you may need some medication, uh, all these different things that are like really deep then that's not for your coach. Your coach is that person that's going to take you to your next level. And generally the person that you want to talk to after you get on par or get balanced. Now I say that to say, I think the caveat is if you're someone like me, who is a therapist who studies positive psychology, right? Cause that's really what coaching is, is that I can take you from healing to then creating the life you want, to then living the life you want. So we can go through all phases, but not every therapist does that. Some therapists are really great with getting you to that heal stage or getting you back to maintenance or getting you back to work, getting you back into your passion. And then they they drop it there. And then you may work with a coach that may 
you know, maybe a coach may help you with your business plan, or maybe a coach may help you with strategy. Depends on what type of coach that you deal with. Or Mm -hmm. like, I know for you, you know, being a divorce coach, you know, you may have that, your clients may have worked with a therapist to get through the pain of going through that divorce, but now they're ready to be in a healthy relationship and they Mm -hmm. want some particular guidance on how to get back out there in the world, Mm -hmm. how to... So, you know, so some therapist is not sitting there helping you get on sites right. and, and what profiles to put. And, exactly. and every time you go on a date, they're like, yay! You know, so it really just kind of depends. <laughs> you know, like you made it or, right. you know, like that. So I think it really just depends on what you're looking for. I definitely would say read a person's profile, check to see what they have online, ask questions, ask questions. Coaches, by design, will not try to do work. Most of the ones that I know will not try to do work that's not fit for them. And they will definitely tell you if you need to be seeing a therapist. They'll be like, you know, that's a little outside of my realm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's actually what I do as a coach. You know, I, especially with this, the increase of mental awareness, mental health awareness, I do have that on my intake form. I want to mm-hmm. see the severity of that in your life. And I know when to say, this is not for me. This is of Melissa, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but I'm help more so with, you know, building those actionable steps to help you hit your goals, right? Your, your life goals, whatever those look like from the divorce perspective and that accountability partner, right? So it's more of that piece versus kind of the, the emotional well-being piece. Um, some touch on some of that, but if it's severe, definitely a therapist should, should be able to handle that. And it's definitely overlap. It so, is. Yeah, it's definitely overlap, but I do feel like each person has like their boundaries of where they stop with certain things. Some therapists mm-hmm. really are not comfortable with certain aspects after the healing. Like they, some I know some therapists wouldn't be comfortable with helping you with your dating life. <laughs> like they I like, will. Ah. <laughs> like I, that's a stop. Like I, you're ready. <laughs> Right. But I think that's a great question because some people, um, you know, do can get confused. And there are a lot of coaches. There's so many yes. coaches. There's yeah. how to play with your kids coach. There's yes. so many different coaches out there, which is great. And so just knowing which one's the best fit for you and kind of doing your research, which leads us to our next question from Danielle. Really good question. How do you start your search for a therapist that would be a good fit for you? How do you how do you know who's going to be a good fit for you? And I know you touched a little bit about this in the beginning around cultural competency. So maybe Mm -hmm. finding a therapist that has the same cultural background as you, not saying that they're going to naturally relate to everything that you're dealing with, especially as an African-American woman, but just being, you know, finding out which one has that cultural sensitivity to where they know how to adjust their tools and resources and efforts around your unique cultural experience. So can you expound a little bit on that, Melissa, as how to find the best therapist for you? I, I definitely would say like, so I agree with some of what you're saying. And then I've also had clients who definitely want to go outside the realm of seeing someone that looks like them because they don't want people in their community to ever know that this is what they were doing. I've had that. So I've had couples of all colors and races I remember one particular couple that came to me and I was working with, and this happened to be a white couple. And one of the reasons why they wanted to work with me is because we lived in a small community at the time and they didn't want, they, they figured I would not know some of the people that they, they would know. And then the therapist that they could have gone to did like knew what a part of their circle. So, you know, people choose. And of course, if you're high profile, you know, those type of things, 
it's reasons why people do that. Um, mm-hmm. I've even had couples come from other states that were in high profile uh, positions or places and, and came to see me because, again, they didn't want that particular thing in their community. I would definitely say you want to go online and you just want to, to look. So psychology today, amazing. All of the different um, therapists come up. You can put up, put in the little uh, boxes what your specific issues are. They have all sorts of things. So if it's important to you that they share that same experience, like race, that's there. If it's important to you that they understand about your, your sexual orientation, that's a box that you can choose. If it's important to you that they experience the same experience that you had. I'm a cancer survivor. That is a box that you can choose. You can choose a box of being HIV positive. If that's important to you, that the person knows those particular things. And one that I found was really interesting, and I actually had uh, spoken to Christy about this, who helped to set all of this up, and thank you for that, was you can uh, fact positive is one that is new. So I'm like, I'm fat positive, you guys. Like, like I am, you know? So, um, and I love being in my own skin. And I just thought, yes. So Did you I say fat positive? Fat positive. That's new, that's new for me. <laughs> yes, that's a box that you can choose. So, because there are okay. so many different aspects of why a person might go to, to, to uh, therapy. Gotcha. And, when I, and, and so that's why I wanted to make that difference is because even when people come to us, so for example, our younger clients oftentimes want to see people who are closer to their age. My clients in my 40s often look for client, you know, for clinicians that are like right a little right below or a little right ahead. Older clients may want someone who's in their age range who they believe can understand the lingo and get them. You know, like we have similar experiences. So depending on what they're working on, they may choose a different person depending on that person's experience and so forth. I will say one of the things that I love about today compared to like 20 years ago when I first started practicing, uh, 20 years ago, it was a thing where we as therapists were like this blank slate. We didn't share all of our personal information. Like, you don't even know much about me. When I talk to people, they're like, they would ask a question like, well, Melissa, did you experience that? The common thing that we would say to someone would be like, and, and and why would you need to know that? Like, what part of your treatment would that help? Like, literally, it was like this, where we deflect the question and put yeah. it back on the client. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. it really is a sense, and I feel like this is very Rogerian in, in nature. It's more of a sense of, I'm not ahead of you. I'm working with you. So mm. it's okay for me. You don't know about my experiences and me to share all my experiences. It's expected. Honestly, mm-hmm. the clients that come in today, it's expected that I know something about you before I start working with yeah. you. Yeah. Okay. Like, <laughs> I need to know you're going to help me. And I know you know you've done this before. And I need to already like you, which is one of the reasons why I have a YouTube channel and we have the Facebook group. It's because many of my clients look us up, look up our clinicians before they start working with us, which I'm excited about because you know what you're getting into before you start the process. I love that. I love that. And so we do have another question coming in from Jasmine. Hi, Jasmine. Said, I love Chittima's point on cultural competency. How do you as a coach and therapist maintain your cultural competency and bring that to your clients? Well, that's a good question. I wish Mm -hmm. I had like a part two because I'm not quite sure (laughs) exactly what she means on that end part. But I would definitely say for me, it is treating everybody with respect 
regardless of their race, gender, or uh, sexual orientation. It is taking the time to learn a little bit more about you and not expecting you to educate me on what's going on with you. It is respecting your status, where you are in life, your decisions or what have you, without trying to dig further to educate myself. And what I say, what I mean by that is I was thinking recently, I was working with a transgender client. And one of the issues that they had was that previous uh, therapists worked to gain knowledge about their community while working with them. And they felt that they felt that like this person knew nothing about them, but yet, and so therefore the sessions weren't about them and their current problem. It was about the other person being curious. Mm. And so sometimes that's what happens when, when it's a mixed match It's like, we're asking stuff or saying stuff that makes no sense and not in context on what's going on. So I feel like for me, it's just really working to stay in tune with my client and educating myself on my own time. That is my job to do that. And it's my job to be non-judgmental and to give you the support that you need while we're working together. So yeah. I, I feel like, I hope that answered your question, Jasmine. Absolutely. And I think some coaches are very specific as to what you know people group that they target. You know, some, some coaches are specialized in, you know, um, African-American women or Asian-American women or what have you. And so they specify the expertise that they are going to provide you. So also look out for that as well, because that's I think that's their, their way of kind of maintaining that cultural competency as well, um, is to be transparent about the people groups that they're called to. So a really good point, Melissa, as well, as far as like, you know, being present with your client. It's good to educate yourself as far as the uh, the experiences of different cultures, but also staying present with your client because you also can, they can educate you about them as well. I think that's a really good point. So another question, they're rolling in now. We got 15 minutes. <laughs> got the questions coming, it's getting hot in here. So questions coming in. I'm happy to see this. So for women, this is coming from, oh, doesn't have a name. For women seeking mental health services, what recommendations do you have for those lacking financial resources? Now, I will say this. Can I can I brag on you a little bit, Melissa? Oh, sure. Because I, I, I peek on your, your, I don't peek, I go to your YouTube channel, okay? <laughs> and I love your five-minute meditation, all right? And so for me, I look at resources like that as free therapy. You know, I'll just be honest. Free therapy that I can access when I just need a little boost in my day. And so... Melissa, would you like to share a little bit about recommendations around those that are having financial challenges? Absolutely. I definitely would say looking into, one, you want to look into see if your job offers any services. So like your EAP, Employment Assistant Programs, many jobs will offer anywhere from three to eight sessions, which really can kind of get you through and, and help you and you have someone talking to you. Join in a group, a support group. So many times support groups are sometimes they're free and then sometimes they're like $25, $50 per session or so forth. But a lot of times they're very affordable for folks. So going on online, again, you can go to Psychology Today. You can go to Good Therapy. If you are specifically looking for a therapist of color, you want to go to Black Girls Therapy. I believe that's .com or .org, but Black Girls Therapy. And you have therapists all over the country that are color. So 
those are places where you can go and you look and see if a person is, you know, has a group or something like that. There may be therapists who provide a sliding scale. So like at our particular, in my organization, the therapists who are newly licensed, we have a sliding scale. The old, the therapists who, who are not, they don't have a sliding scale, but everybody is invited to be a part of Sister Circle. So the Sister Circle, if you're a current client, you can be a part of that. That is free. Once you're no longer a client with us, you're still in it. Yes. So you have continued support through the Sister Circle. And then again, like you said, those free resources. When I think of folks like my mom growing up, my mom, her therapy was Oprah, Yangla Van Zant. their books, the books that Yangla uh, wrote. So I feel like there is definitely help for you. It's just reaching out. Oh, and another place is your church. I remember when I was going through my divorce, my church had therapists, licensed therapists on, on board. And Shelly, who was my social worker um, from the church, literally was amazing. And that was a free resource. So as long as I was a member of that church, I got to see Shelly and the church paid her, paid her a salary to come in and work with the members there. No, I, I think that's awesome. And, you know, we, we have a lot of, of people that really depend on their church community to, to assist with, you know, their overall well-being. So I think that's a really, really good point. I also wanted to add, I was listening to Taraji P. Henson last week, and she launched this foundation called the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation. And they actually offer free virtual therapy um, mm-hmm. because their whole goal is to normalize this conversation around mental health create the resources um, for African-Americans and then also create a platform for African-American therapists. And so as you talked about earlier, having more of that representation out there. And so again, that's also a resource that you can tap into if you're looking for, you know, something that's more financially feasible for you as well. So there's a question for you, Melissa. All right. So can you expound, this is from Jasmine, can you expand upon the sister circle? I was going to ask you that. I'm like, tell us about this sister circle again and how it could be used in conjunction with therapy. Awesome. So the great thing about groups, right? So at one point I was providing a group at Ridgeview Hospital here in Atlanta. And so I got to work with the professionals there and it was just like an amazing, amazing time. So these were folks who were getting individual therapy But the group time was a a place for them to be able to get the support about their issues from their peers, right? And to learn from each other and to keep each other accountable. So I feel like when you're working with your therapist, you're getting like that concrete knowledge about just you and your thing or what's happening. You're getting Mm -hmm. a way to express yourself and things like that. But in a group, it's like group think happens. And like the dynamics of, you get to see yourself being reflected in others. You get to see where you've come, how far you've come from, how far you need to go, and like where you are now. And each conversation, I think, grows you in a very different way. But more than anything, it's the support of other people going through the thing that you're going through. That part is amazing because a lot of times you don't have that in your family unit, especially Mm -hmm. like when you're looking to do something different. Especially like, like I said, when you come from like something that's dysfunctional or it could be a very great family unit, but maybe you now are an entrepreneur or maybe you have scars from the past that you're working through or what have you. Or maybe you just need a community of people who just get you. That is why I feel like groups are so amazing. And it allows for you to take that work that you've done with your, your therapist 
to normalize it so it becomes a part of your your daily routines, your weekly routines, like that self-care, setting boundaries and things like that. It's a great place to just to learn to be accountable and to make those things regular life uh, style choices for yourself. Yeah, and I, I love the point you mentioned about no, seeing yourself in others. I think it's something about that, oh, I'm not the only one going through this. That's very healing, right? Yeah. And not only that, it's a, you know, as a coach, I, I coach my clients to be able to share their story. I believe it's something about sharing your experience that's also healing. It's something about giving back and sharing what you learned from your experience to help somebody else is also healing. So I think it's two pronged. Not only are you getting the support, but you're giving the support. And I think that two pronged approach is what brings about full and total healing as well. So I think the sister circle is so powerful. Um, it's so needed. And, you know, hopefully how can people get access to, to that? How can they get your information and follow up with you if they want to be a part of the sister circle or just want to be, um, partake of your services? Absolutely. So you can reach us at www.visionworkscoaching.com. You can also reach me on Facebook at Melissa Alaba. And I'm sure my name is on there somewhere, but you can friend me. And we have a, a soulful, purpose-driven women group that focuses on self-care, creating boundaries, all those different things. And that's a free community and another space for you to be able to get support that you desire. So you can literally just reach out to me and I'd be happy to connect you with the resources that you need. Yeah, very good. Thank you for sharing that. And okay, so we have one final question. We have about seven minutes left. So again, if you have any, these are really good questions, by the way, ladies. So thank you so much for chiming in and helping us with this discussion. This is kind of personal to me. And then I'm sure other other women are, are probably wanting to have this question. but how do you find time <laughs> to be able to pour into or prioritize your, your mental well-being? I remember I had a client last week or so, and you know she was just sharing how she was going through anxiety and fear of things that she was going through with her ex and you know retaliation and all of that kind of thing. And I asked her, I said, when's the last time you had quiet time? You know, when did you, when was the last time you had time alone? No kids, no business, no client, no none of that to just sit with your thoughts, you know, and just allow your, allow your thoughts to settle just a little bit. Cause I find when we're in this chaotic place and we don't have time to process our thoughts, I feel like it exasperates some of those emotional challenges that we're having. And so she's like, you know, I haven't thought about that. I guess I'd never really had time to sit for five minutes by myself. Right. So Melissa, can you help us, those of us that are like that octopus that has so many competing priorities, how do we create that space where we put really prioritize our mental health? Yeah, so I like to call that my busy bee syndrome, <laughs> where you have folks who really don't feel like they're productive unless they're doing a million things, right? And so I, you have to put yourself on the calendar. And I always tell people, look at all the things that you're doing and let's see how you can eliminate at least three of them. And, and a big part of working with me is identifying what your strengths are. And I call those your superpowers. And so once you know what your superpowers are and you also understand what your lower level strengths are, we can eliminate a lot of stuff and okay. get you to actually living the life that you desire and being more purposeful and intentional about the decisions that you make each day. You know, so it's very hard to like sit in the moment or even do the meditations that's 10 minutes, right? So it's like, okay, we've got 24 hours. 
and only thing I need to do is 10 minutes of meditation. But if your day starts off with this to-do list that has like 20 things on it, mm-hmm. you're not going to do the 10 minute meditation. So yeah. really just kind of thinking about how can I get more support, which is how we started this conversation. How can I get more support? either who I can hire or who I can exchange. That's another thing. You can't hire someone to help you with cleaning your house. Maybe you can exchange some duties with someone else that's in the house. <laughs> maybe maybe someone else can pick up one or two of those things that's supposed to happen. You can't get a babysitter. Maybe this, and I remember when I was in college, as we were going to Roosevelt University, one of my good girlfriends who went to Loyola University we exchanged babysitter because I was a young mother. So I would watch her son. She would watch my daughter. And we literally did our classes so that we were on opposing nights to work it out to help each other. Mm-hmm. So I think I started doing this really early on. We're like mm-hmm. figuring out I can't be in every place at every time and getting other people to help me with meeting my goals. So that's that's a, a big thing. So like if you want that 10 minutes, what can you swap out to get that 10 minutes so that you can meditate so that you can be more present? I like that. I like that swap out. And I I think it goes back to your initial point earlier is asking for help. And I think a a lot of that overwhelm and lack of time is because we're not asking for help. Right. And we we, we're trying to do it all on our own. So I I think I think that's a wonderful point. And so we're wrapping up here. I just wanted to know, Melissa, if you had any final words before I hand it back to Dean McBride. First, I want to just thank you for being an awesome moderator. It was so good to be with you, Chi. I call her Chi. Um, Please let us know how we can find out about what it is that you're doing, please. Oh, well, yeah, sure. Um, You know, as a life after divorce coach, I know since the pandemic and since COVID-19, there has been an increase in divorce just because of the stressors that we talked about earlier. And so, again, I'm that coach that helps assist you getting past that pain of divorce rebuilding your your new life afterwards and getting you prepared to love and receive love again. And so I do help with the dating portion of that as well to get you back on track, right? So you can actually contact me at www.authorchi.com. It has all my information there. um, And so check me out there. But thank you, Melissa, for having me on as your moderator. You are just a phenomenal woman. I I know you personally. I know how transformational just being in your life has been. So these women have gotten a treat by having you in their company. And so again, uh, thank you for your time and back to uh, Dean McBride. Thank you all. Thank you guys. This was great. Thank you both. I love this. I wish we had a whole other hour. I could just keep listening to you guys talk about this. This was amazing. So thank you both for sharing so openly. I think it's especially appropriate that we've done this for Mental Health Awareness Month because it's really a time to reflect on how we can prioritize our own mental health and acknowledge that it's it's okay to not be okay and how we can move forward. So it was really an honor to listen to your heartfelt advice and stories. To all of our guests, thank you for tuning in and everybody. Enjoy the rest of your your afternoon. So take care. Bye. Thank you, guys. And Justice for All is produced by Roosevelt University and is available at roosevelt.edu or anywhere you get your podcasts. The music for And Justice for All is written and produced by Jesse Case. Thanks for listening.